Podcast, aka Oh no, <laughs> MFKS Radio, on the airwaves dial at four eighty-seven fifty-two. Your pod is hosted by Megan and Kelsey, who would like to spend seven drunken days in a library with owl eyes. Uh, yes. So this is chapter three. Of the this great is chapter three. We it, forgot to do our closing question last we, time because so I ended on such a fucking. Dumb it was it was a good time because <laughs> we had to stop. So we're gonna do that closing question right now. Yes. On a scale of one to ten, how much would you want to go to the previous party from chapter two where somebody gets fucking punched? I'm gonna say negative seven. I would want to be like when Nick finally like when Nick goes to get the cigarettes. Yes. He should have just not come back. Hundred percent. He should have just fled. And I would have been like, I would have gone up there and realized how weird things were gonna get, and yeah. been like, I'm out. I'm gonna go get some food and just never come back. Mm -hmm. So negative seven, easily. As per me and my hashtag always on brand, <laughs> I'm gonna have to say negative sixty nine. <laughs> I was just gonna say you're definitely gonna go with six point nine there too. <laughs> No, just 60. Oh, okay. All right. Um, okay, our discussion question for chapter three is, how do we measure wealth? So, like, individually? Or, like, personally? Or societally? Or... You do you, man. So, I think that we have sort of two competing notions of wealth. Yes. In society. I think we have the idea that, like, money is true wealth. And it's measurable and quantifiable. And, like, I have more than you... And that person has more than me, therefore I should want more, so I can have what that person has. Mm -hmm. And there's that, that idea that, like... Wealth is stuff. Wealth is stuff. It's not even money. It's stuff. It's stuff. Yeah. And then I think there's another notion that, like, the idea that true wealth is... Is the friends you made along the way? <laughs> well, I wasn't going to be an asshole about it, but yeah, it's <laughs> that, like... But that there's, there's a notion that, like, actual wealth comes from sort of a combination of like emotional and spiritual and um familial and economic mm -hmm. well-being and they have all of those kind of working together and you have a very fulfilling life mm -hmm. and ultimately that to be wealthy in that respect means that you have enough correct but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a 70 inch tv mm -hmm. when the 42 inch tv is yes that's kind of no, I totally agree. Yeah. I think you said that beautifully. So if we're to, say, evaluate our characters right now. Yes. Um, we've got Nick, our narrator. We've got Tom Buchanan and Daisy Buchanan and Jordan Baker and Myrtle and George Wilson. If you were to classify which one they believe they are or they mm -hmm. themselves believe, uh, how would you organize that list? I think that Tom and Daisy are fit on, like, the... The A? Yeah, like the, the, the material, stuff. the material wealth. I think Jordan Baker would consider herself fairly wealthy. For sure. And I think that the wealth that she possesses is knowledge more than anything else because she is that sort of... Gossip. Gossip, but like that fly-on-the-wall gossip that people mm -hmm. sort of forget about a little bit. Yeah, um, which Nick also is. He is, and he's building that as we go through. Yeah. When he starts out, he isn't that. No. But by now, by into chapter three, he becomes that for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I would think that, <laughs> like, George Wilson probably thinks he's doing fine. Like, he works hard, mm -hmm. but he has a business that he can maintain and, you know, whatever. Um, that's okay. Um, 
Continue. Um, I don't know how, what Myrtle would say. I think Myrtle wants A. That's why she's with Tom. Okay. She could be with anybody. Truly. If she's going to have an affair with her husband, which, as we've been told, she hates her husband, it could be whoever the fuck. Right. But Tom isn't a nice guy. There's no reason to be with him except for his money. Right. And I think that she's a social climber. Oh, for I sure. I think she that is. she's trying it to. It definitely just looked like I was glancing down that you were climbing like was, the ladder in gym class. I was motioning <laughs> being a climber. Uh. <laughs> so she wants to be that category A. Right. And George. I was just going to say something. It was just like a terrible pun, so I'm not going to do that. Do it! I was going to say, her life with George provides her with the vehicle to do so. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, Megan, don't say yes. that. Yes! Um, yes! <laughs> Foreshadowing puns. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, like George, the life that she lives with George, I think, provides her with um, the means to climb. Yes. Because there is some freedom in that she has a sister in the city. Mm-hmm. And, and some... George doesn't seem to want to have anything to do with that. No. And so it allows her that measure of Separation. freedom and independence. Yeah. And I think that Tom is more than willing to indulge that. Of course. Because For obvious reasons. Yeah. And it allows her then to sort of feel... Like, she's part of the world that he lives in, even though we know that she's not. Mm -hmm. Because she says Daisy's name, and he loses his goddamn mind. He loses his shit. And in chapter one, Nick notices that Daisy and Tom, like, go into that secret society that only they belong to. Mm -hmm. So as much as Myrtle thinks that she's part of it... She ain't. She can't be. No. And Daisy, for all of her whatever, is part of that world. Yeah. Whether she likes it or not. And Myrtle can't achieve that. No. Just based on the social yes. structure itself. Um, okay, chapter three. So this is when we meet Gatsby. Gatsby for the first time, and it's gorgeous. It really is. It's As always, Miss Fitzgerald, I took my pen out of my mouth because that was gross. Kind of amazing, actually. Where do we even start, Megan? Um, so we end in chapter two with Nick and lying on the uh, in Penn Station, mm-hmm. waiting for the four o'clock train. Mm-hmm. Then there's nothing. Yep. And then the next chapter just dives right in. And it's, there was music from my neighbor's house through the summer nights. So all we know is that some time has passed, and Nick has sort of experienced some of Gatsby's parties. From afar. Until he gets to go. And it's significant that he gets to go. Because everybody else just shows up. But Nick is personally invited. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting how that distinction makes Nick feel special. Mm -hmm. And he has this sense of, of social propriety because of the class that he's in. Where his instinct is, okay, I must go introduce myself to my host. Yes. I must meet him. I must thank him. I must do all of these polite things that should be done. 
And when that does not happen, mm-hmm. again, his solution is embarrassment because he says, uh, I was on my way to get roaring junk from sheer embarrassment. Because mm-hmm. he, he felt, as he says, purposeless and alone at these parties. Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting here, too, is that Nick has been paying attention. Yes. Here's what happens on Mondays. Here's what happens on Fridays. Here's what happens, you know, we get these crates of oranges and lemons. We get um, eight servants, including an extra gardener, toil all day with mops Mm -hmm. and scrubbing brushes and hammers and garden shears, repairing the ravages of the night before. And it's fascinating that the night before is the Sunday and not like, because, you know, there's still this notion of like, Sunday is a day of rest. Yeah. And this is the opposite of rest um, at Gatsby's parties. Craziness. It, um, like, truly is craziness. And there's a full orchestra. Um, and there's people coming in, and they've come in, uh, the swimmers have come in from the beach, and they're now getting, you know, dressed in their finery. And there's cars parked five and six deep in the driveway. Mm-hmm. And, and um, everything is, it's... It's the 20s, but, like, on steroids. Yeah. Everything is just heightened. I agree. And there's something really interesting about this party, and obviously that's going to get into Gatsby's character in, in later chapters as to why he structured it this way. But interestingly, that Nick doesn't necessarily look at this with a positive lens. No. He is quite disgusted by what he sees. He says, um, uh, once they were there, sorry, once the guests were introduced by somebody who knew Gatsby, after that they conducted themselves according to the rules of behavior associated with amusement parks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they came and went without having met Gatsby at all and came for the party with a simplicity of heart that was its own ticket of admission yes they're users yes they are and it's it, this one to me this party this one here is very reminiscent to me of um chapter two no the, i was gonna say the uh bruce wayne's birthday party and batman begins where he has to like get everybody out of the house and he calls them all like freeloaders and, and whatever uh, and the sycophants and gets rid of them and it's that same yes. kind of notion because he's playing a role he's playing a role and and right. gatsby very much plays a role at these parties mm-hmm. um it's an interesting role but he plays the part um, of sort of the gracious host, despite this amusement park quality that these gatherings tend to have. Yes. And we find out later why he's doing it and what he's attracting. Mm-hmm. And then we also find out later why Nick has been personally invited, mm-hmm. which is interesting because for the first two chapters and most of this third one, Nick is our sort of observance character and like that, I don't want to say omniscient because he's not, but he almost is. He's telling us the world according to Gatsby in this case in chapter three. But it is, right? Like you say the world according to Garb. <laughs> I thought about it, but I chose not to. Um, but then we also know that Gatsby has been watching Nick. Yes. And paying attention to Nick Mm -hmm. in very much the same way that Nick has been paying attention to the comings and goings in and out of the mansion 
all summer long. Yeah. And that is a really interesting um, dichotomy because I think Nick sets himself up as the observant one. Mm-hmm. And unless you're reading sort of subtly into what's happening, mm-hmm. you don't notice that Gatsby is just as observant. And I think they do that quite well in the film because mm-hmm. they have this musical cue and you see a hand through the curtains and there's these little things that make Nick feel as if he's being watched. Right. But in the first three chapters, I don't think Nick perceives that. Just that one time where he he feels like, where he goes back into the unquiet darkness. Yes, but long. that's it. That's the only it's time. It's not like he has suspicions of his neighbor. Yeah. Um... There's so much in this chapter, Megan. But it's really it's really interesting, too, because I'm just thinking back in chapter one when uh, Jordan says, um, you live in West Egg, I know somebody there. Mm-hmm. And he says, you must know Gatsby. And then Daisy's like, Gatsby? Mm-hmm. Um, what Gatsby? She doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't know what's going on. No. Um, She's and just like, her half of who? a conversation. Half of a conversation. Yeah. Um, and also, but Nick's like, no, I don't actually know anybody. He, you know, he found out later on sort of who that was and and whatever, and then he's like, "Oh yes, the Mister Mister Gatsby you spoke of is my neighbor, but that's all he knows. He doesn't actually know anything about him." No. Um, but I then think yeah, he even he... says like, "I don't know a soul." Yes. Or something like that. And so he says here, um, the end of chapter one. Um, he sees Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Fifty feet away, a figure had emerged from the shadow of my neighbor's mansion and was standing, with a. His hands in his pockets regarding the silver pepper of the stars. So he sees him mm-hmm. in shadow and he and and Nick's gonna call to him and then he doesn't because he says I was I didn't call to him for he gave a sudden intimation that he was content to be alone. He stretched out his arms toward the dark water in a curious way, and as far as I was from him I could have sworn he was trembling. Involuntarily I glanced seaward and distinguished nothing except a single green light minute and far away that might have been the end of a dock so he sees him sort of like reaching out for this thing whatever and that is the only time that he exists until this party but nick goes to the party and doesn't know who he is no (laughs) there was an outburst i don't know what's going on the way you describe that i didn't the way fitzgerald writes it i just i just read it makes it seem like he's wanking out there in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Isn't he, though? I was gonna say, like, emotionally, probably. His hand trembling in a curious way. He's like, definitely. No, he's like... Re- I a feel gesture like- that made Nick realize he wants to be alone. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> oh, you're... No, he stretched out his arms toward the dark water. Both arms. But, like, well, stretching them outwards. I don't just... know. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> stop now. I'm sorry. It's very late. But anyway, so that's the only time that we have seen Gatsby until this part. Yes. And the introduction, like, the phone, when we finally meet him, it's so curious and, like, almost unexpected. I love it. It's I wonderful. It. Can I talk about you it? You go right ahead. So, Nick has continue to drink because he's uncomfortable. He's found Jordan. Yeah. And Jordan has this mission to make him happy by finding Gatsby for him. And they run into the library and they meet Owl Eyes and Owl Eyes 
drunk, he's been there forever, and he's flabbergasted because he doesn't expect that the books in this massive library are all real. Because how could they be? How could someone have all of that wealth to have all those printed books? Oh my god, Nick. And um, they eventually just kind of abandon this chase and go back to the party. And Nick says, at a lull in the entertainment, the man looked at me and smiled. Your face is familiar, he said politely. <coughs> Weren't you in the third division during the war? And they exchange. Um, and he says, we talked for a moment about some wet gray little villages in France. Evidently, he lived in the vicinity, and he told me he had just bought a hydroplane and was going to try it out in the morning. Want to go with me, old sport? Just near the shore along the sound. What time? Any time that suits you best. It was on the tip of my tongue to ask his name when Jordan looked around and smiled. Having a gay time now, she inquired. Much better. And I fucking love this, because Nick just shoots himself in the foot. Mm -hmm. He says... This is an unusual party for me. I haven't even seen the host. I live over there. I waved my hand at the invisible hedge in the distance. And this man Gatsby sent over his chauffeur with an invitation. For a moment, he looked at me as if he failed to understand. I'm Gatsby, he said <laughs> What? Oh, I beg your pardon. I thought you knew, old sport. I'm afraid I'm not a very good host. Which is fascinating because he has parties all the goddamn time. Yes. There's so much in that description yes. that is oh, fascinating. Wonderful. Can I tell you something? Yes. So this is, I'm not, again, not a big fan of the movie. I went to see the movie when I was living in Ireland. And uh, you know how Leonardo DiCaprio, every time he says old sport, he never finishes the word. And it just sounds like old sport. Mm -hmm. And I made a, a joke to my friend John. I made a crack to her. I was like... He never finishes the word sport because he never finishes anything that he says. Ouch. But it's very it's true. Very true. Like his entire life is just like a bunch of incompletions. <sighs> Except for that little scene on the beach. Uh -huh. Megan. <laughs> anyway. It's so late. It's really, it's, oh my god, it is. It's almost 10 o'clock. I was like, no, it's not. It's so late out, but hey, summertime. So there we go. Um, so. His reaction. I just thought it's really interesting, because my edition of this, you said third division during the war. Mine says the first division. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Weird. mine says third. Um, Nick's reaction. Is gorgeous. Yes. And this is where a lot of the questions about Nick's own sexual proclivities come into play, I think. Can I read it? Please do. Okay, it's beautiful. So, um, Gatsby, after he says, I'm afraid I'm not a very good host, this is what Nick tells us. He smiled understandingly, much more than understandingly. It was one of those rare smiles with a quality of eternal reassurance in it that you may come across four or five times in life. It faced, or seemed to face, the whole eternal world for an instant and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. It understood you just so far as you wanted to be understood, believed in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and assured you that it had it had precisely the impression of you that, at your best, you hoped to convey. Precisely at that point it vanished, and I was looking at an elegant young roughneck, a year or two over thirty, whose elaborate formality of speech just missed being absurd. Sometime before he introduced himself, I'd got a strong impression that he was picking his words with care. I love this. I love it so much. It's beautifully written, because mm -hmm. Nick 
looks at him and it's as if it's like the sun the has world come falls out away. and the sun has come out behind him yes and he's just sort of like this almost like ethereal Presence. figure and it's that possibly even a ghost <laughs> god damn it Megan you're so happy about it too <laughs> what I love is that Nick looks at him and I think we've all like met people like this in the world where you look at someone and it's like it's just you and them in the room even if it's crowded everything mm-hmm. is absorbed there's this instant charismatic connection would you like to know what this description reminds me of of like the world falling away that like notion mm-hmm. is sorry about this everybody in the last jedi when they had their like when they touch well that but like all of those moments where they had that like right connection through melt. the force where everything just yeah like disappears from mm-hmm. the world around them and nothing matters but the two of them yeah. in that moment and what's really interesting i find is that it's not that gatsby sees the best in nick but it's what you want to convey as your best. It's a very superficial understanding of your best. So it's not true. Counterpoint. Okay. I agree with you. Okay. Here's an alternate. This I was just thinking this. Mm-hmm. So when he says here, like you know, it was one of those rare smile. All this, all this yeah, kind there, of stuff. It understood you just so far as you wanted to be understood. Yes. It says prejudice in your favor. And that this is the th- exactly the thing that I was thinking about the structure of Nick's narrative about Gatsby. Is that Nick's entire telling of the story is prejudiced in Gatsby's favor. Yes, absolutely. And so he's reflecting on this first meeting with this like almost otherworldly figure mm-hmm. as something that everyone should have the opportunity to experience Mm -hmm. at least once in their lives. And I find that an absolutely fascinating notion. Yeah, for sure. Because when he says, you know, like Gatsby made it, you know, all right in the end, but it was what preyed on Gatsby. So there's this idea that like as, as perfect as he comes across, he's weak. We already know. He's weak and he's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. And I think Nick maybe kind of has a crush on it a little bit. I think there's a little bit of it there. Talk about being clean and hard, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I, I, and I, you know, I think that that's perfectly reasonable. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, you don't describe, that's not a description that you use. No. No. To someone who you don't think is fine as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's very, very true. And, like, it's funny, too, the casting in, in the film with Leonardo DiCaprio playing Gatsby. Spoiler, if you didn't know that, I don't know. I don't like it. But that, this bit here, that smile is, like, a thing that he is just, like, good at. so good at. And it is perfect. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things wrong with him as Gatsby. Yes. But there's a lot of things right, and that is one of them. Because he has that ability to, like, create that very enigmatic expression. That connection. And that gives, maybe, like, makes a person think that they are more significant in the moment than they actually are. Mm -hmm. And I think that when Nick first sees Gatsby, 
Or perhaps this is Nick's remembrance of first seeing Gatsby, and I can't decide which it is. He's giving Gatsby more importance and more significance than he necessarily but deserves. But if from the start of this episode, Columba, that Nick is one of those people who perceives wealth to be the stuff, is he knowing that Gatsby lives in this grotesque house and mm-hmm. throws these ridiculous parties that mm-hmm. hundreds of people come to and there's celebrities and it goes all week like it's 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 it the tits it's yeah. the tits of the tits is he projecting that importance onto Gatsby because Nick himself believes that wealth is the epitome mm-hmm. maybe maybe interesting because there's this so Jordan Baker is a very interesting person in this chapter because Gatsby asks to speak to her alone Mm -hmm. and they spend like an hour together talking it seems like and she comes she is very unflappable it feels in so many ways but she comes out of this 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 experience and she's just like it's the worst um it's the worst though what she does to Nick but she's like it was just she says here it was simply amazing like she just she doesn't even have really have words for it no because i don't know it's like it's like speaking with gatsby so transformative that like you know it fundamentally changes who you are yeah and does that happen to everybody in the book except for like one person mm. right where they're all very like sort of transformed by their exposure to him mm-hmm. in some way because of the greatness that he that he exudes exudes or represents i don't think it's both maybe it's the greatness that they think he exudes yes and it's not even necessarily that he represents but the greatness that they feel mm-hmm. is what he he's displaying yes yes, yes mm. very much so yes she's that this is yeah that's awful what she but says. it's awful because she says i swore i wouldn't tell it and here i am tantalizing you and I have lived this shit. My <laughs> husband is not allowed to tell me things. And yet he'll be like, I treated someone that you know today. <laughs> and you're just like, which athlete was it, Chris? She's yeah. like, well, can't tell. Can't tell you. Mur, mur, mur. Then don't say it. Fuck. <laughs> That's my therapy for this evening. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I think that's like it for this chapter, right? Except no, it's actually not. And the re- the only thing I want to say oh, is the farewell. The no, well, no. I guess the the something I wanted to say was about how um there's a car accident in this chapter, which is just like the most fascinating little event. Um, in, oh, I found something. I got something to say about continue. Is one of these like fascinating little events um in this book because. It says here, in the ditch beside the road, right side up, but violently shorn of one wheel, rested a new uh, coupe which had left Gatsby's drive not two minutes before. The sharp jut of a wall accounted for the detachment of the wheel, which was now getting considerable attention from half a dozen curious chauffeurs. However, as they had left their cars blocking the road, a harsh discordant din from those in the rear had been audible for some time and added to the already violent confusion of the scene. This is the second chapter in a row where there is a scene mm-hmm. that is violently confused. Mm-hmm. 
The first, of course, and is... And brought upon by alcohol. Substances of some substances, kind. Substances, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just so fascinating, because you can hear sort of, like, the cacophony of yeah, all of this. And the, the chaos. And, and Nick is just sort of, like, this very weird casual observer mm-hmm. of it, which is something that he does a lot in this book. And really, to our characters, that scene plays no purpose. None. None, except to show you who these animals are. Yeah. And how go to the parties. And how little they care. Yes. Which becomes, I think, quite important later. Yeah. Can I talk about my last important thing here? Yeah, and then I want to just address the timeline of this. Okay. Because this is making me fucking crazy. Okay. So Nick remembers from chapter one that he had heard of Jordan before mm-hmm. and he can't remember why and in this chapter he remembers he remembers that there was a scandal when uh, she was in a golf tournament and there was an assertion that she had moved a ball mm-hmm. now this is his reflection on Jordan and it brings me to eventually our questions about to what Nick feels about women, but also perhaps what Fitzgerald about, feels about women, but we don't want to conflate the two. Yes. So he says, Jordan Baker instinctively avoided clever, shrewd men, and now I saw that this was because she felt safer on a plane where any divergence from a code would be thought impossible. She was incurably dishonest. And she says... Or sorry, Nick says, it made no difference to me. Dishonesty in a woman is a thing you never blame deeply. I was casually sorry, and then I forgot. Casually sorry. Mm-hmm. That is a phrase. That is an incredible phrase. It is. Casually sorry. Are you sorry at all? Or is it just that, like, is it that, like, very Canadian sorry? No, I think that's sincere. No, but you know what I mean? I think it's sincere. Um, casually sorry. Oof. Oof. And there's just something really interesting about Nick hearing again a negative quality about a person, and Mm -hmm. they have this conversation about how she's a bad driver and she's careless and... She's like, no, she deflects blame. It takes two bad drivers to cause an accident. Yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. But to Nick, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. He has her in his arms, mm-hmm. and she's a physical body, mm-hmm. and so he's willing to forget it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty gross. I hate careless people. That's why I like people. But again, Nick just fucking dunked on himself Mm -hmm. because he says she instinctively avoids clever shrewd men Mm -hmm. and yet you're kind of dating her yes he i think he sees himself as very guileless right like i think that's part of it is Mm -hmm. he sees himself as this sort of like i don't know like a paragon of virtue in so many ways well the last lines of this chapter (sighs) yes and so this is this is the thing and this is one of the reasons why I think the timeline is really important because just before the end of the chapter, mm-hmm. he says here, reading over what I've written so far, I see I have given the impression that the events of three nights, several weeks apart, were all that absorbed me. On the contrary, they were merely casual events in a crowded summer, 
and until much later, they absorbed absorbed me infinitely less than my personal affairs. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting, because then he chooses to spend his time talking about these things, these things rather than the other things. So he spends p- this little tiny bit of time in his personal affairs, mm-hmm. and... The rest of the time he's working, he's uh, learning the bond business. And doing whatever, doing and so, whatever. This, so this is the stuff that, that he's decided that matters. But then at the end here he says... Um, Everyone suspects himself of at least one of the cardinal cardinal virtues, and this is mine. I am one of the few honest people that I have ever known. Fucking bullshit. Okay. He's so not honest. How so? He's not honest with Daisy. He's not honest with Tom. He's not honest with himself. Does he have to be honest with Tom, though? <sighs> he could. Would it make a difference, I guess, is the, the, that's the question I'm asking. Would it make a difference whether he's honest with Tom or In not? In his integrity. Does he value integrity, though? Does he equate honesty and integrity? I don't think he does. I think that's the... I'm not saying that's okay. I'm just saying, like, I don't think that he equates the two. Okay, well, how is he honest? I think that he's honest insofar as he's... Um, he's trying, I think. I don't, maybe he's not even honest. I don't even know if honest is the right word to describe him. He okay. says that he is, but I think that he, I don't think that he is intentionally duplicitous unless he believes someone deserves it. There's and conditions like, on conditions. No, 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 here. but like, but like, like Tom deserves it, right? He's not trying to be deceitful in a hurtful way, for example, with Daisy, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's trying to help out his Nick. friend. Yes. Okay. So, like, you know what I mean? He's trying to help Gatsby do the... You know what I mean? So there's all these ways that he, like, you know... But he's not honest with himself, and I'll agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Because he looks, like, at his relationship, in quotes, with Jordan Baker. And, like, I mean, it is one, I guess, sort of, but it's not really. And he knows that it's not, but he's sort of like, "Ah, she's kind of hot. But at the start of the chapter, we didn't talk about this, but Nick is asked by Daisy and Tom, we heard you're engaged. We're, we hear you have a girl out mm-hmm. east. And he says, or out west, no, 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 it's it's libel, I'm too poor. Mm-hmm. And here he says he, fel- he feels guilty because he's been writing letters home, signing them love Nick, and imagining this girl back home who he's writing letters to, love Nick, mm-hmm. has you know, this certain image of when she's playing tennis. But then he says, nevertheless, there was a vague understanding that had to be tactfully broken off before I was free. So he just hasn't gotten around to it yet. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's good or bad. Don't roll your eyes at me. But I'm just... Roll my eyes at Nick. <laughs> but no, he's, he's not... He just hasn't done it yet. Because he's a coward. Yes! Right? But... I don't think that he's thinking of this virtue as a virtue. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be harsh on Nick here. I think honesty is perhaps the only positive quality he can give himself because he has such low self-esteem. And he seeks the approval of everybody. Literally everyone. He wants to be everybody's go-to guy. Yes. And so he puts up with whatever the fuck and he self-medicates to get through it. Yes. 
He's so embarrassed that he's at Gatsby's party. He can't find his host. He's been given special treatment and he can't fulfill it as he thinks is socially acceptable. So he doesn't leave. Yes. He just stays and gets drunk again. Um, I don't know what his virtues are. I don't think he has any. No. I think he's kind of a deplorable human being, to be perfectly honest. Like, there's nothing... At this point in this book, mm-hmm. there is really nothing redeeming about any of them. The most likable person so far is Gatsby. Because of his generosity. Because of his generosity, but also because he's enigmatic, and you don't know enough about him to necessarily pass judgment on him. Yes. Because what we know of him is what he wants people to know of him at this point. Mm-hmm. That's right? true. With his parties and whatever. And we have no reason to think at this point that there's anything other than that. Agreed. Right? I find it interesting that... It's taken us three chapters to get here. Like, this is what I always think is so interesting about this book. It's called The Great Gatsby, but you still have no idea why he's great. No. All you know is that he has wealth right now. Yeah, that's true. And he also has some things in common with Nick. They fought in the war. Mm Mm-hmm. Nick made an ass of himself (laughs) in front of him. Yeah. As Nick always does. Fucking Nick. The worst. He's so socially uncomfortable. Is that again how part of a function of how he doesn't quite fit here? Do you think that Nick is like on the spectrum? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. I, but I, I just think I just think it's a function of how Nick's upbringing in that sort of midwestern sensibility. Yes, and the propriety he lives by. Yes, d- isn't is not really a good fit. It's a good fit for the little house that he's renting. Yes. A perfect fit for the little house that he's renting. It is not a good fit for this lavish world that Gatsby is trying to inhabit or that Tom and Daisy And do that inhabit. Nick floats through. Because he doesn't really belong. No, he floats through very much By like the a invitation ghost. Right? Like, oh my god, like a ghost. <laughs> but he does. God damn Because I, I feel like Nick, because we don't know anything about him and what he looks like, and, you know, we don't get that. Because no, he's he doesn't describe himself. He doesn't describe himself. And because of that... I always get the feeling that he's very sort of, like, unforgettable in a lot of ways. (laughs) No, but you know what I mean? Like, that he wouldn't be... There's nothing special about him. No, he's just very ordinary. And people... Which is why the book is about the great Gatsby. And not Nick. But it is about Nick. Of course it is. But... It's like how the Shawshank Redemption is about Red just as, as much as it is about Andy. Right. So for Nick, fuck, I had a good point and then you distracted me with Shawshank. God damn it. It's about Nick and not just Gatsby. I lost Stan's gone forever. Until we hit stop. And then you're like, ah, fuck. Yeah, true. Um, anything else you want to say about this chapter? Uh, there's a question. Okay. Does it matter if allies and the books are real? No. There couldn't, like, there could not be a library. Yeah. It doesn't take away this image that Gatsby is cultivating. Right. I think the, I think the image of the library cultivates that, like, there's that intelligence, that intellectual component to it, which I think is important 
to sort of mask the appearance of questionable vapidity, origins, right? Yeah, I think that that sort of intellectual mm. anchor matters, right? Everyone else is vapid, though. Yeah, but don't forget that Gatsby is a uh, uh, an upstart, a bootlegger who doesn't drink. He's like he's a contradiction in so in many itself, ways, yeah. right? And so, even if everyone else is shallow and whatever, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't want to be projected or yes. or or sort of represented in that way. And so, mm-hmm. having the books, I think, allows for at least the appearance of that intellectual separation, maybe from some of the other people hmm. that he interacts with, mm-hmm. perhaps, perhaps. And it's people of all backgrounds that come to these parties. Yeah. Although, is it all white people? Oh, probably. I agree. End of chapter question? Yes. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much would you want to go to this party? Mm, like, maybe a 7. That's it? Yeah. It's a little weird. What's weird about well, it? because well, I think that here's the reason. I think the reason that I would say seven is because what we're getting of the party is from Nick's perspective, and so he's talking about this like garish, mm-hmm. whatever. But because Nick doesn't inhabit the world in which this party exists, he's looking at it from a different perspective than maybe some of the other people who are there. Okay. Right, and so I but think. But isn't he perceiving it even then more positively then? Maybe, well, but he talks about, like, the gaudy, yes, you know, and how it's gaudy, and, and, and whatever, and there's decoration, and, and that kind of thing, and sort of this, like, outlandish... Here's a question for you. You know, all this outlandish whatever, and how, like, the oranges come in on the crates on Friday, and they leave on Monday with just, just the peels, and, like, yeah. all this kind of stuff, and he sort of comments on the excess of it, because mm-hmm. to him it's such a strange... Mm-hmm. Thing and the fact that he's like the only invited guest, and <laughs> everyone else just shows up because they know what's ha- they know what's happening. Um, I would say like a seven. If I was invited, I would say a ten, because again, I my I, my sensibility would be like I should probably go to this party mm-hmm. because I got the hand delivered invitation. Yes, I've, I've been, been t- I've been chosen, especially. I've been selected. Hand delivered by a chauffeur. Yeah. Even though Nick literally lives next door. Yes. That's a ridiculous. It is, but it's, it, it makes it is, but it also makes like a personal connection without <laughs> it being Gatsby himself through these gloved. White but it, but it's a, but it's a, it's a, it's another person. It's not just in you know. Yes. And that that I think is important to Nick. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because again of where he's from and that upbringing that he has, and which of course Gatsby being the observant. Whatever. Person that he is. <laughs> Whatever. I was gonna, Do not say ghost. I was going to try to come up with a synonym for ghost. And the spectre. Close, that's exactly what I thought of. <laughs> the observant specter in the window. Um, he, I say he's spectral. I think he is. He's not a ghost. But he, defi- <laughs> but he definitely, like, don't roll your eyes at me when I say this, but he definitely, like, floats through all of his, <laughs> like, all of his parties and all of that. But he does. Because he is also within and without. Yes. Charmed by the inexhaustible variety of life. But he but he does have this quality about him where he can kind of like sort of be there but not, right? Yes. Like he's 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 very able to be present and look at you like you are the only person in the room, but also be like incredibly aware of what's happening around like him. Like Nick. 
Um, and so I think that he does have some of the, that, that sort of quality, but because he ha he's able to do that, he is able to like sort of flit in and out of these mm -hmm. scenarios that he creates to observe how people behave and act. Because mm -hmm. he's always learning, like Gatsby. And he needs to, because he he's on a mission. And on that note, thank you so much for listening. Did you say an e-mission? <laughs> Bye. <laughs>